Thanks so much, Matt, and the team. They're fantastic songs this morning. Uh, I'll just rip this mask off now that everybody's vacated the stage. Well, good morning. Um, Matt was right. It's been a pretty crazy week, hasn't it? Uh, earthquake was the last thing I think any of us would have expected. Um, so that, that shook things up a bit. Um, I'm so glad that you've joined us today as we uh, perhaps put aside that craziness of the week. Uh, you know, uh, even the craziness of last night's grand final over in Perth. Um, and congratulations to the Melbourne football team. If you're a supporter of them, enjoy, the, enjoy it while it, uh, until least until next year. Um, I realised while preparing for this morning that there's quite a few people that um, who'll be tuning in today that I haven't talked to for a really long time. Um, and there might even be some people who've discovered us online and uh, who I've never even met. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody again soon and hopefully, hopefully soon. And, um, and if I've not met you, please make sure that you come and grab me for a chat at some point. It'd be great to meet you. Um, as Pastor Matt said, my name's Darren. Uh, I've been coming along to this church for just a bit over 10 years now. And, uh, and over those years, I've had the great privilege of getting involved with all sorts of activities um, around the church. And one of those is occasionally being asked to speak on a Sunday. Um, a number of months ago, our pastor David uh, was uh, starting to work through these letters from Paul to the church, of, church at Thessalonica. And he asked me to look at the second letter and chapter one. But it's taken a really long time to get here. Uh, we've had a few, a few diversions, uh, what I like to call taking the tourist route. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, we cycled back around to the letters. And, and so here we are again. Now, speaking of changing plans and tourist routes, uh, you know, in 2019, uh, like a lot of other people, I was actually in the process of making some really big plans. I'd planned to take long service leave in 2020 and head over to Europe. You see, ever since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to see the ancient Greek and Roman sites. I'd, I'd also planned to go paragliding in Switzerland, but these things didn't happen. Um, this was the third time in my life that things have conspired against me to stop that trip. Um, now, because none of us could travel and we've all been cooped up at home, I decided that uh, one of the things I was going to do is each week I would sort through some old photos and I could spend some time organising them. And, uh, and in the process, I'd also remember some of those holidays and events. And one of the places that I've actually visited a number of times is Cambodia. Um, it's, uh, I've got quite a lot of photos from Cambodia. And now, if you haven't been to it, it's, it's quite a unique country. It, it has a very sad history with the Khmer Rouge and the killing fields. But it also has some absolutely amazing ancient wonders. I mean, I'm sure you've all heard of places like Angkor Wat. Um, the, the cities themselves in Cambodia also are quite unique. Um, they have this really unusual blend of Southeast Asia and Paris. That 
French influence um, in the architecture seems to stem from when Cambodia was a French colony. And for, the, for those old enough to remember them, uh, the Tintin children's books would, uh, that uh, you might remember, um, Tintin's inventions were often in Cambodia, or back then it was called French Indochina. Um, just about everywhere you go in Cambodia, there are Tintin t-shirts for sale. Uh, I actually still have a couple of them. Um, the other tourist type t-shirt that originated in Cambodia is a little bit more cryptic though. Um, you might have also seen this one. It, uh, it became all the rage for a while um, and it even ended up being sold in markets here in Australia. Uh, this, it, it's just a plain t-shirt and on the front it says same same and on the back it says but different. Now this weird you know, grammatically dubious uh, saying first came became common in the Phnom Penh central market uh, as the vendors would try to entice tourists away from their competitors and to their own stall. And this catch cry quickly caught on and, and was soon being used right through the whole city and then from there, from there it spread across Asia. Now some genius thought to put it on a t-shirt and now the same same but different has actually entered into our language and it's uh, probably much to the disgust of English teachers. Same same but different is probably an apt description for Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians. In a lot of ways, it, it looks and, and sounds similar to the first letter. And that's really not that surprising as we realise that this second letter was probably penned only a few months after the first. The issues that he's addressing had not really changed. In fact, the situation for the Christians in Thessalonica had only intensified. There was serious persecution. There was even martyrdom happening. And there were doubts and fears creeping in amongst the believers. So Paul writes once again to encourage them. And now the letter is almost same, same, but it is also different. The first chapter is only 12 verses long. So why don't we read it through? You might want to look it up um, because we're going to refer back to it a couple of times as well. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. So first, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, This letter is from Paul, Silas and Timothy. And we're writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. We proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships you're suffering. And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. 
in his justice, he'll pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He'll come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who do not know God and those who refuse to obey the good news about our Lord Jesus. They'll be punished with eternal destruction forever, separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. When he comes on that day, he will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. And this includes you, for you believed what we told you about him. So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call, May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of, the, of our Lord will be honoured because of the way you live and you will be honoured along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have to admit, if you remember the first letter, there is a sense of deja vu when we read this. Um, it's like we've heard this before. But there are a few things here that I would like us to take a closer look at. Things that are both said and implied that are relevant for us today. Now, when I say relevant, I don't want you all to get me wrong. I'm in no way suggesting that our current church situation comes even close to the opposition and persecution that was being experienced by this early church, or even that our current restrictions somehow rival the treatment of Christians whose lives are being threatened every day around the world just because of their faith in Christ. Our current restrictions, if I had to scale them, I'd probably put them more on the level of inconvenience and frustrating. Um, and actually, it's been a little bit worrying how many Christians in the Western world have had their faith rocked by what we've experienced in the last two years. But no matter where our faith is at the moment, Paul has some things to say to us. Paul starts off this letter with the perfect prayer for us believers that we would experience grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say this is such a perfect prayer? It's because in God's grace, we actually find hope, forgiveness, strength and the restoration we need if we ever do stumble under the pressure. And the peace, well, well, that is what we can find when we know that through Jesus, there will be, in fact, there already is victory. What a relief it is to know that God's got this. Nothing is outside his control. Whatever we might face, as Matt was saying earlier, this is not our final destination. You see, this tiny little prayer 
encapsulates what it is to be a follower of Christ. And the next thing we see in Paul's letter is that Paul is commending the church. And what are those things that are so noteworthy? Yep, it's their faith. Their faith is flourishing and their love for one another is growing. Now, I don't think it's an accident that Paul groups these two things together. Um, Remember, this is a young church. They are new believers from all different backgrounds. Um, Some are Jewish, some are Greek. There's probably some Romans there too. There are women and men, probably all stratas of society. People who would not normally come together, but, but here they are demonstrating love to each other. And in that, their faith is not just maintained. No, it's flourishing despite the persecution. I think the the lesson here is pretty clear. Out of our faith, we're inspired to love. And by enacting our love to each other, our faith is, is bolstered and strengthened. And as a result, Paul says that this church has become an example of endurance and faithfulness. It's the ability to stick with God even in the hardest times. It's about faith and love. In a way, our lives become a fortress built on a foundation of God's grace and peace. Now, I don't reckon you've got to be any sort of Bible scholar to see that there is a direct parallel here between this and the man who built his house on a rock. You might remember, you know, Matthew chapter 7. The rain came, the wind blew, but the house stood despite what happened around it and to it. And that's what Paul's commending in the, in the church at Thessalonica. Once again, back in our passage, verse 5, and here Paul is assuring us that there is a purpose for these, these troubles that we might experience. It's about showing his justice and, uh, and us being made worthy of his kingdom. Now, once again, We can, I'm not saying that we can work our way to his standard or to work our way to worthiness, but that in our faithfulness, we actually differentiate ourselves from those who are not faithful to God. The implication is that that makes them unworthy. The persecution the church is experiencing is what God uses to refine his people. Why else would Paul use in verse 8 the motif of fire when talking about Christ's return? He says the Lord Jesus will return with his mighty angels. Well, that's power and authority. And then he also says in flaming fire. You know, right through the entire scripture, fire is used to demonstrate both the destruction of anything that's unwanted, diseased, useless or impure. And it's also the refinement and revealing of that which is pure and is valuable. If you look back at Isaiah 48, for example, it says, 
I've refined you, but not as silver is refined. Rather, I've refined you in the furnace of suffering. And that keeps going right through the Bible. And then, you know, later on in in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says um, in verse 7, the trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about to both that young church, but also to us. The refining process of our faith that takes place in the fire of opposition and persecution. He goes on to give us a picture of what the, what the alternative is. What will it be for those who choose any other path? He says it will be eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. It's such an interesting thing that Paul's best description of eternal destruction, what does it look like? Well, it looks like forever being separated from the Lord. Now, we only need to think about that for a moment to think of what that might might be be like to realise that that is a terrible fate. And perhaps that's why even though he's reassuring the church that there will be justice, Paul doesn't actually seem to revel in this ultimate punishment for those who persecute the church. Instead, there's almost a sense of compassion and urgency for those who are yet to find the grace of God and the peace that we have in Jesus Christ. What a challenge that is for us today. You know, in this time of online media where we can say whatever we like and people tend to get dogmatic and take sides on every single issue, I have to ask myself, how much compassion do I have for those who, at least in my opinion, stand against Jesus? The people who would maybe restrict my freedoms or freedoms or maybe even shut down our worship services am i concerned for their fate or or am i all too ready to cast them to the fire does what i'd say or do actually reach out and snatch them from the flames probably not And therein lies the difference between the Thessalonians and my response to those who would oppose Jesus' church. Paul addresses this with a better response in verse 11. He wants God's people to enable them to to live life worthy of his call. Remember, that's a life of grace and peace. And he goes on to say, that say, may God give them the power to accomplish all the good things 
that their faith prompts them to do. Now, that's a big prayer. To accomplish all the good things that we're prompted to do by our faith. It's a little bit ambiguous. I mean, what are those things? What are we being prompted to do? Well, Paul gives us a metric for that too. In verse 12, he says, Then the name of the Lord will be honoured because of the way you live. Our faith should be prompting us to live lives that bring honour to the Lord Jesus. It's not enough to just hibernate and to get through the difficult times, but to see it as an opportunity to grow both in faith and in love. It's going to require us to seize the opportunities that are presented to us. And those opportunities, they might actually put us in danger. You know, our security, our health, and maybe even our lives. But if that's, what's hap- if that's what happens, we'll be actually in good company because that's exactly what Paul was boasting about to the other churches when it came to the church of Thessalonica. Then finally, Paul tells us, all this is made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord, Jesus Christ. So persecution, opposition, hardship, pain, even death. These are all things that Jesus endured first. So grace, all this is made possible because this is the way God first acted towards us in grace. So in him, we can have confidence and peace. I don't think we should be hoping for persecution as a church, but if or when it comes, I hope we will be commended for our faith and endurance that we will stop doing, uh, that we won't stop doing all the good things that he's prompting us to do. And I pray that this week God will give each of us that grace and peace. Amen.